This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. You'll get 25% off. They ship within North America. It's more rub-ons and lotions and sort of that stuff geared towards your athlete. But your everyday blue-collar worker works as well. So if you have aches and pains, if you have anything that bothers you on your body that you could rub yourself on, then you could use this. It has very low THC. You will not get high, will not absorb, and you'll start feeling all loopy and all that stuff. So it's good for you. So visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. If you're into nerd culture or you like collectibles, visit firstrow.ca. This is a Canadian company based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. They update daily on their website. And if you, like I said, visit firstrow.ca, use promo code THEPODCAST20, you'll get 20% off. They also ship within North America. But to you American listeners, everything there is in Canadian funds, so it's a little bit cheaper for you if you do the conversion rate. And like I said, obviously, too, they update all the time. They have everything from wrestling figures to comic books to sports memorabilia, signs, cards, anything you literally need or want, they have it there. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com. But if you scroll down on your device that you're listening to us on today, it's embedded right there in today's description. Click on it. It'll take you straight to the merchandise store. I got everything from T-shirts to hoodies to mugs to travel cases to pillows, anything you literally need or want. And if you don't want to support me monetarily during these rough times, I totally understand. So please, the easiest thing you could do is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, but most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest has pretty much taken bumps all over the world and is probably best known for his work in, let me see if I could do this without butchering it, El Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre, and for all you white people out there, that's CMLL. Professional wrestler, Sam Adonis. What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me today. Uh, I'm, I'm looking here inside your home to notice that you're a big Penguins fan. <laughs> and I am currently sitting here in Pittsburgh where I was born and raised. And uh, luckily, life has brought me full circle. I've been able to travel the world and do what I do best. And uh, now I'm happy to be back in Pittsburgh where I, you know, 
reside and do my independent bookings based out of. However, I've also become a bit of a local promoter here as well. That's good. Well, I want to touch on everything you just mentioned there, but first and foremost, the most important thing, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, man, everybody's losing their minds not having them play right now. Uh, right. A buddy of mine is actually the ring announcer for my wrestling company at season tickets, so I get to catch, you know, probably 10 to 12 games a year whenever they're actually playing. So oh, I'm uh, jealous. missing out for sure. Oh, I'm so jealous because up here in Toronto, you know, like you literally got to be a millionaire to get good seats to go see a Leafs game because they're so overpriced. And either, right. and the funny thing is, even when they were losing and they were at their worst, they were still the most priced tickets in the NHL. And to me, that's just mind-boggling. Wow. And that's one of the biggest reasons why. And again, people have heard this before in my rants about the Maple Leafs. It's nothing new. But the reason why I don't like the Leafs, they're, to me, they're not a sports organization. They're just a business. And you, you know what I mean? Right, right, and, right. And you know what I mean? And everyone's walking around here in Toronto. Like, everything is, I bleed blue. I love the Leafs. On the cover of every newspaper, if they're still out there, there's Leafs articles, everything. Everything you see on Canadian Twitter, I guess, is about the Leafs, too. So it's like, oh, come on, give it up, man. It's like, there's other stuff, too. That's kind of where we are with the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. Oh, Um, okay. The city absolutely just worships this team to the point where, like, in a sense, you almost feel like sometimes they're above the law. (laughs) <laughs> you know, their conduct, and, and yes. there's just, you know, everything in the entire city revolves around what they're doing, which actually kind of makes it nice. If you do enjoy baseball or, or hockey, you know, you, there's there's never going to be that, you know, demand for tickets that you can't get to games. You know, Pittsburgh right. Penguins fans are a bit fair weather. You know, we've won two championships in the last six years, and, mm. you know, they're still not selling out games, you know, up until this point. That's so, uh, you know, it, it's pretty rough. That is crazy, yeah. And like I said, all the and the funny thing is, all the Leafs games are always sold out. Like I said, like I don't know where all these tickets are going and who's buying them, but they're always sold out. To doesn't matter when they're good or not. But uh, anyways, who cares about the Leafs? This is Penguins talk here. What's your favorite Penguins team of all time? Are you a big like the '90s fan as well, or are you just now current with the Crosby and Malkin era? It'd be the Crosby and Malkin era. It was 2009. Okay. Whenever they won, I was actually uh, I would have been 19 years old, and I was a bouncer in the city. Okay. And uh, just those games were on every night of the week. That was a very special time. I remember where I was when they won the cup, and it was just like you know, just fun times. It kind of there's a bit of a sentiment there, but uh, yeah, yeah. The, the Lemieux era and Yager era, I was a bit yeah. too young to remember, but uh, you know, there's still such a great influence here in the city with those guys that you know you, you can't really not know who they are. Yeah, because with me, I grew up with obviously the Lemieux and Yager era, and what made me like the Penguins was again, I was I don't know why I was so young, and I just didn't want to be a Leafs fan. So then I I don't know if I told this story, but I sort of switched and became a Canadians fan just to spite the Leafs because obviously the rivalry. <laughs> but then I saw Lemieux play for the very first time when he got drafted that year, and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is something so because I'm more of like that big guy aggressive type of player and he was just not that he threw his weight around but he was able to if he wanted to he wasn't that fast skittish type of guy and with the soft hands like well i guess he did have soft hands but i'm saying like soft feet like gretzky did you know what i mean so he's more of that i was like, always i was fascinated by the fact that he likes to use hot dogs and smoke his cigarettes you know, I feel like there's, there's definitely a, a level of respect where you can be a normal human being and perform at that level you're doing something right Right, and again, to see a big guy like that have such soft hands and with his soft touches and the way he would score and everything, and it's such a shame what happened to his career where it got cut short so many times because of having so many types of diseases and whatnot. But again, hey, I'll still say it, and I've said it again too, I still think he's better than Gretzky. And if you look on record, everyone goes, oh, Gretzky has all the records and blah, blah, blah. But if you look at points per game, Lemieux has actually more points per game than Gretzky does. Wow. 
So yeah, we have we have a lot of sports icons here in Pittsburgh, right? And it's kind of cool. It's a, we we do have a sense of pride because Pittsburgh is not a big city, but it's a famous city because of our sports references. You know, the, the teams are always in the media because you know we we've been contenders since the seventies and all you know, all three teams we have. Right. So uh, it's been cool growing up here, and then in a wrestling capacity as well. You know, there's been a lot of talent that comes out of Pittsburgh, and, and of course. Uh, you know, uh, you got your Kurt Angle, you have Bruno San Martino, big yeah. John Studs from here. You know, there's so many people in the lineage of it. And uh, right now, at least, you know, aside from my brother and uh, Elias in the WWE, you know, there's not really anybody in Pittsburgh that's representing the, the, the hometown like I am, which right. is pretty cool, you know. Uh, we have a local beer down here called Iron City Beer that actually sponsors me. Oh, and okay. uh, they give me product and give me merchandise to, to uh, you know, Represent their brand when I wrestle. So, right. you know, I wrestle and I'll be in Tokyo, Japan with an Iron City beer logo on my tights. So I think there's something kind of neat about that. And, uh, you know, the people that these are the things that to my friends and family from growing up that aren't really wrestling fans, this means more to them than anything. Like, Holy crap, Sam's sponsored by Iron City? You know, it's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Because if you grow up with something, it doesn't matter how big it is in the spectrum of outside your bubble. If it's big inside your own bubble, to you, it's famous, right? Oh, exactly, and it's just, uh, they, uh, since I've come home, there's been a lot of situations like that that are, uh, you know, bubbling up to me, and, and I almost don't see them in their proper perspective, because, okay. you know, living in Mexico, I have CNN coming to my house, and NBC, and all this Shit. thing, so to come home and have a local newspaper, you know, put me on the front cover, <laughs> to me, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just the Post-Gazette. But to my grandma and grandfather, it's holy cow! Well, look at Sammy on the cover of the Post Gazette. You know, <laughs> so it's it's pretty neat. And sometimes it's, it's you know you have to take a step back. But you know now more than ever, given this current condition and situation in the world, it's right. you know I, I just count the blessings I've already had, and I'm so like you know thankful for what I've been able to accomplish because who knows when we're allowed to do it again? True. You know, and and uh, it makes you really take things into perspective, and then yeah. You know, makes you want to enjoy the ride a little bit more. Well, that and also I told my wife the other day this too because I'm noticing a lot. At first, everyone was all nice because everyone is still scared and didn't know what's going on. But now that people are starting to get sick of being quarantined and all that stuff and not having their regular routine, you're really starting to see who the assholes are in this world, all thanks to a simple disease. Well, I shouldn't say simple, but you know what I mean? Like a life-threatening disease. And it's like, I I told her too, I was like, listen, people who are acting like assholes now are like the people who get drunk and are assholes. That's who they truly are. It's just emphasizing right. more of who they, like, you know what I mean? It's coming to the top now. Well, see, I, I look at, you know, I think a lot of this is our own doing as far as, you know, letting uh, social media influence our own lives. Right. Um, I, I definitely think this is a serious situation that everybody, you know, we were doing the right things. However, you know, the pandemic also has, has kind of spread into a hysteria. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost a backlash for, for society's over-reliance on social media. Uh-huh. And now that's where the fear-mongering and the anger comes from. And it's, True. you know, it's almost overindulgence. And, and it's kind of sad in a way because something we have that could be so useful in keeping the world a better place, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes can attribute more bad things than good. Yeah, no kidding. But again, cream rises to the top. And I think at the end of this uh, so-called dark tunnel of ours that we're all experiencing that it's going to end up better. And a lot of steps are going to be taking place so this doesn't happen again. So I think this is just a step. I mean, not a step, a test for the real exam that's to come. Yeah, I hear that. I just, uh, you know, in a sense, it's something that's kind of sad, but 
uh, you know, sometimes you need events like this to yeah. kind of humble people. Of course. You know, I, I was in I was in Mexico City for the earthquake in 2017. Oh wow! And I have never seen so much, you know, goodwill and, and just people taking care of people right. than I did then. You know, I almost feel like that was like you said about two weeks ago. I feel like everybody's a little bit testy and agitated right now. Yeah. But hopefully, on the other side, you know, we do come together and just kind of you know, take these precautions and make sure something doesn't happen again. Yeah, most definitely. So let's talk some wrestling. Since you are a pro wrestler, and like I said, you've traveled the world. When did your love of wrestling actually start? Because you said your dad's a promoter before we we went on and everything. I don't think I ever really had a beginning of my love for wrestling. I think it was more or less like a birthright of mine. Ah. Um, my, my brother and my father were the biggest wrestling fans ever. Okay. I was born in 1989, so you know, as far back as I remember, I just know wrestling was on TV. Okay. It was something that, you know, it, it was there, it was part of everything. And honestly, I think my major obsession probably came from the toys. Oh. I had uh, I had the WCW, WWF, Hasbro, and the Galoob toys, but my brother had the era before, the LJN toys. Okay. So I would, you know, I was born in 89, and the TV that, I, you know, I, I really remember starting, you know, maybe when Flair was there, Razor Moan, two or three years old. Okay. But... But I was cognizant of what was going on outside of that, you know, mm-hmm. what happened in history. We had old magazines. We had old books. And, uh, you know, I was just constantly fascinated by wrestlers and who they were, their story. This guy looks cool. That guy's boots are cool. Right. And honestly, you know, as far as back as I remember, I don't ever remember, you know, uh, having an emotional investment into a character or, or a storyline or an angle. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated by wrestling as a whole. I, I wanted to see what color the ropes were going to be on this pay-per-view. I okay. wanted to yeah. you know, build the arena for my toys. It was, it's really unusual because, again, I've seen so much of it that I don't know what drew me to it. But, you know, when I was two or three years old, mm. most kids are watching Disney films. I had Hulk Still Rules, the Coliseum <laughs> Home video from 1984 that I watched over and over and over. Yes. You know, and... and uh, even some of the old Memphis tapes or NWA tapes, you know, oh, wow. this is 1993 or 94. Right. I'm watching stuff 10 years before me. Oh, wow. So I was kind of always, it, it's, and it wasn't, I, I don't even like to take credit for that. I think there's something weird in me that, you know, <laughs> I was fascinated by it. I just wanted to see more. I always thought there was something else out there that I liked. So the, the, the curiosity never subsided. And I'd like to think that, you know, at 30 years old, there's not too many, you know, historians in the game like me that mm-hmm. pays attention and understands the story and, and the history, where it's come from and where it's going. So, uh, you know, I think Chris Hero is probably one of the only people that, I, that are in the business that I would say, you know, pays attention more than I do. But, right. you know, I, I, I love wrestling up until about 2003, 2004. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I could attest to it because I follow you on Twitter and the shit you post about Japanese wrestling, it's like, how the hell does this guy know about this shit? He was like, he wasn't, even I'm figment in his parents' imagination until 20 years later, and he knows all this shit and all these nuances and everything. I'm like, wow. And it's true. The only person other than you would probably be Chris Hero. You are right. So that's crazy. Yeah, he's still got another 10 years on me, so, you know, it's, it's true. probably a competition. He's, he's <laughs> a little bit, I would say, even more into it than I am. You know, mm. He knows people's birth dates and their oh, wives shit. and hidden names and whatnot. So uh, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive, but... Uh, it's definitely helped me along the way in my career just because, you know, I have been conscious of what's happening. 
Yeah, I don't know how people like you and Chris do it because I have literally one of the shortest term memories I could ever think of or that anyone knows of because it's, it's bad. It's really like I don't even remember what it's sometimes I do the day before. You know what I mean? And to, to hear stories about you guys and literally have every little detail, like you said, you know, every little thing about the match, every little aspect of it. And it's like, what the fuck? How do you guys retain all this? Do you like practice or it just comes naturally? Oh, I think I'm a little bit like Rain Man or something. Uh, I have something going on in my brain. That, <laughs> you know, it's selective memory with You know, I can forget to take the trash out, you know, twice a month. Okay. And next thing you know, I can remember, you know, the finish of Minami Toyota against Aja Kong. <laughs> you know? Right. Why? Oh, my God. And again, well, it just goes to show you were meant to be in this business, right? It was, it's in your blood, as they say. <laughs> Definitely. You know, there's been a lot of things. I don't believe in the word luck. I, I think uh, Me neither. most people are responsible for their own destiny. However, there's two things in my life that I think I can chalk up to luck. Okay. And I'm six foot four, and I have personality. And those are True. two things that I didn't get to choose or learn. You know, that's from being, that's genetic. So those are the luckiest things in my life. But, you know, I've got so many opportunities in my life because of my, uh, my size. Right. So uh, it's definitely helped me out a lot. So who was your guy growing up then? Because everyone has their so-called Hogan of their growing up era of their childhood. Who, who was yours? Hogan was the first one. Oh, okay. Hogan was just fascinating when I was a little, little. I loved him. Um, and then it kind of spawned from there. Uh, after Hogan, I, I was a Shawn Michaels fan. Nice. And then in like 96, 97, we found the ECW here in Pittsburgh. Uh, so the Sandman and Sabu <laughs> and Taz, all these guys were my favorite. Right. And honestly... After my first ECW, I went to live in Pittsburgh in 97. Okay. I found a video of Hayabusa from Japan. Yes. So I, this is right around when we got the internet for the first time. Okay. So I started researching and reading everything I could about these guys. Mm-hmm. And Hayabusa and Atsushi Onita were two of my gods. <laughs> you know, I worshipped these guys as okay. deathmatch wrestling back in the day. Right. And, you know, again, it was almost just like a curiosity. I was always, you know, in my opinion, there was always something better out there and you know at that young age you just get fascinated and find new things and i'd like to think i was right you know not to say i don't like these guys now but they're not you know nearly as important as they were to me when i was a kid but you know watching hayabusa and onita you know led me to finding tapes of tenru and and uh and great sasuke and you know getting on new japan the all japan you know so i mean there's not too many seven or eight year olds in the united states that was watching that stuff at the time yeah, no you know, kidding. And then move on to by 10 or 12 years old, having all Japan videos and, you know, getting the whole Christmas, all Japanese wrestling tapes from my parents. And just, you know, I was a weird kid. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> definitely, uh, I don't know if weird is the word, but I wasn't normal. So right. I, I had an obsession and it, it worked out in my favor. No, most definitely. Okay, so let's let's get back on track to your career then. So you were signed to a WWE d- developmental contract back in, I think, 2011 or so? Okay, so you were released pretty quickly. I know you had some kind of injury. Was that the reason why, or was it something else? Do you want to talk about it? Was it was a combination okay. of both. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's something, uh, I was 21 years old. You know, I never oh, lived outside of my parents' house. That's right. And, you know, at that point, I'm moving to Tampa, getting paid well. And, you know, okay, yeah. I had an injury. I was sad. I didn't know how to, you know, manage. I had no life experience. Of course. So, you know, I, I go out and party and I'd get in trouble and just, <laughs> you know, just be a, a 21-year-old in that environment, you know? Yep. And uh, it, it, after the injury, I was clear for a couple days. 
Uh, my brother actually called me on a Wednesday and he said, guess what? I just got signed to WWE and I was so relieved because I knew I had, you know, my guardian was coming down to help me out. Right. And, you know, two days later on the Friday, I was released. Oh my God. So you never actually got to work I, with your brother then? I, I wrestled him for my dad's shows. I actually right. got signed to WWE before my brother did. A lot of people don't know that. My, right. my entire time there was before he ever got his contract. Oh. So we worked a couple of shows for my dad. And, right. Uh, yeah, since then, I mean, we, we luckily now get to roll around in the ring every once in a sure. while. Uh, a couple of years ago, we went to Jay Lethal School in Tampa and rolled nice. in. And last wow. week, my brother actually brought Carmella to a local wrestling school in Pittsburgh, and we all wrestled for a little bit. So it's good to have him back in there, but uh, sure. I, I definitely think that's you know something that boils me on the inside is that, you know, my dream since I was five years old is the red headline WrestleMania against my brother, and you know, sadly, it's been taken away from us. Yeah, that sucks. So, uh, all in all, uh, well, again, you, you do—you literally had a cup of tea down there. But was it a good experience? Did you learn from your mistakes at least, or did you still want to party uh, more? Or <laughs> what? Yeah, there was a lot more partying after that. But that's you know, that's more life experience. You can't live in England without partying. But uh, ah. you know, that's luckily now. I just feel like now I have the life experience that I'd be able to turn it around and do gotcha. some magic. But uh, it was definitely a great experience for no other reason than, you know, the name. It's, it's instant validation. True. So, you know, I, I was able to work in the United Kingdom for Brian Dixon, you know, off a phone call from one person, you know, because wow. he worked for WWE. I basically walked in the door of CMLL and got a job because of WWE. So, uh, you know, having that on a resume gives you credibility. And luckily, because I've been very persistent in what I've, you know, looked for, all these other companies now just add to the resume. So when I could say I had a WWE contract, all Japan Pro Wrestling, CMLL, you know, these major names, I, I think it's a pretty, le- you know, pretty high level of prestige, which you know is able to keep me at work. No, most definitely. Well, you mentioned it too. You moved to England. You were there for a few years. How was that whole experience adjusting from living a North American lifestyle to a European? Because I've lived in Europe before for a year as well, and it's really different if you've never been there before. I absolutely loved my time living there. Nice. Uh, I had so much fun. Um, it wasn't necessarily about the cultural experience, okay. but where I wrestled was the last territory on earth. Oh, All-star wrestling. Okay. They were doing, you know, 150 shows a year where you're sure. wrestling twice a week in the same town and going in front of fresh audiences. Yeah. So that's honestly, you know, that changed my performance immensely. Wow. You know, working five nights a week or, you know, in the yeah. summer you'd wrestle, you know, seven or eight times a week. And then, mm-hmm. You know, getting your your body of work to a higher level. You know, I, I had more experience in four years than most American independent wrestlers have in ten. Oh. So you know that that tightened up my game and made me you know the performer I am. That as far as my my you know timing, my character, everything to the point where you know it, it's when you do something long enough, it becomes second nature. And you know, it got to the point where now I can turn that character on quite easily. Mm. And you know. Like I've said before, you know, working in Mexico and in Japan, it's it, it works. You know, it, it, that's that that's the credibility and the performance you need, you know, to be accepted because it's not necessarily, uh, you know, you playing a part as much as that part being a part of you. No, most definitely. Now I got I have to know this because I was supposed to actually to go England this year before this whole COVID stuff happened. So I really doubt that I'm going to go this year. But I'm a very picky eater. I don't know if you are. And obviously, North American food is different from English food. 
So as a North American, is there any places you could suggest for my future tri- trip to England? I would just say kebab shops. Really? Uh, yeah, they just—they're everywhere. Every small town has a kebab shop. Okay. They're you know donut kebabs and burgers and all that stuff. It's just like I wouldn't pick one in particular. I think their chain restaurants are pretty awful. You know, there's not really—it's not that good unless okay. you have some good home cooked British meal. Right. Um, I actually spent a lot of time with Paige from WWE and her mm-hmm. family. Oh, uh, nice. Her brother, Zach and Roy, are a couple of my best friends. And her, her mom, uh, Soraya Knight, mm-hmm. is one of the best cooks on the planet. Oh, wow. And she just had that British style down like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. So I, I wouldn't really suggest anything except if you can get the Norris and see if Julia will cook something for you. <laughs> there you go. Now, what about your time with CMLL? Because, again, like I said off the top, this is probably what you're best known for. And most specifically for your gimmick as this uh, Trump supporter. Now, I got to ask... Is are you a little bit of a Trump supporter, or is this all just pure gimmick? Oh, it's all pure gimmick. Okay. I, I, I am so turned off by by you know organized politics and everything. Oh, you know, okay. I've lived all over the world, and I can attest that you know people are the same, no matter where you're at, what country you're in. You know, oh. it's I take exception to that because I do. I've seen the good, you know. The, the media paints the picture of Mexico being this dangerous place, you know, mm. and living there two years without a single problem wow. and meeting some of my best friends, you know, goes to show you that there's, there's some other things going on that you know, might not necessarily meet the eye. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so, you know, anti media, anti, uh, you know, politics structure, mm-hmm. things like that. However, I am very patriotic. Oh. I, I have, you know, I have traveled the world enough, to be so thankful to be American and I've seen gotcha. enough of the differences, you know, the grass is always going to be greener on the other side. Of course. You know, and I've been lucky enough to see a lot of this planet. And, you know, I do get upset sometimes when people are just talking about what we're doing wrong and how mm. everything is this and that, you know, uh, I, I love the United States. I love coming home here. I love, you know, the freedoms and liberties we have. So, uh, yeah, but other than that, I don't care about Democrats, Republicans, you know, green party. It's all just, it's all just TV to me. So were you at first a little bit hesitant to do this? Because, again, everyone talks about the Mexican fans and how crazy they are, even to this day, where they throw shit at you, piss, thumbtacks, whatever they could get their hands on, pennies. So were you a little bit hesitant, or were you like, fuck this, I'm going head on, I don't give a fuck what happens? I have actually was putting it off for four years. Ooh, I, was, uh, okay. I had received, uh, I've received uh, a lot of opportunities to go to Mexico. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Angelico from uh, AEW and Lucha Underground. Of course, one of my favorites. Yep. was always telling me, hey, come down here, I can get you a job. Come down here, I can get you a job. And I wasn't necessarily able to take that leap and, you know, go down there. He, he told me I had to get there to get the job. Okay. So if you can get me a job before I come, I'll come. You know, it wasn't happening. I actually, uh, I was hurt. I had about six months off. And oh, wow. I actually had a plan to go back to England in, um, I think it was July of 2016. Okay. I ended up getting down to Mexico in April, and I was, you know, main event within two months. You know, I, mm-hmm. I skipped that English tour, and you know, everything worked out in such a, a positive way. And you know, w- what kind of helped me a lot was the, uh, you know, my my knowledge of Mexican wrestling and mm-hmm. the history. 
you know, I think a lot of these people were just kind of blown away. Who the hell is this kid? Why is this 27-year-old white dude know more about Lucha than most of our wrestlers? <laughs> right. You know, so that, that, that history, you know, it definitely come in, in my favor a lot in, in Mexico, Japan, England, everywhere. Yep. But, uh, you know, it, it's just something I was able to get down there and, and get my, my teeth in the biscuit or whatever you want to say. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it was cool. And, and I don't really... I have no regrets about it. I wasn't really scared to do it. I okay. just, uh, I knew it would be good for my career. And, you know, I'm just happy I had that opportunity. So do you have any crazy Mexican fan stories that you could share? <laughs> oh, I, I have about a, a million about an ex-girlfriend that would probably... Oh, shit. Uh, that could probably be in it. That could be probably in, in a, a Lifetime movie or something. It's so erotic. But uh, you wouldn't believe me anyway. And uh, uh, the, the wildest thing that ever happened to me was I wrestled in a building called Arena Lopez Mateos. Okay. And when I was leaving the arena, there was a black Escalade parked oh. outside. And I would take a step and it would creep up. Right. It would take a step, it would creep up. Oh, shit. So I noticed this. I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, hey, go inside and get the promoter, please. Okay. So allegedly what happened is somebody told them all about the Trump gimmick on the inside and how this bad Americans inside oh. talking shit and all this. And I don't know what their intentions were, but they were not good. Mm. So uh, luckily the promoter was able to talk him down and, and uh, he says, you and your girlfriend need to go home now. Get out of this neighborhood. Don't go out to eat. Don't stop for gas. Go. So uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh man, you truly, yeah, you, you must not be wired right if you thought that was cool. I'd be shitting, but then again, I'm not also built like you, so maybe that's why. <laughs> well, it's, it's also hindsight's 2020. You know? like I guess. Now I look at it like, Jesus, Sam, what the hell are you doing? You know, there's some situations I put myself in that right. you know, now I, I would never do again, but when you're there and it just becomes so normal, you don't care. True. And as you get older, you also get scared more. Because I remember when I was a kid, I'd do some stupid shit as well, and I'd have no fear. Now it's like I'm scared to cross the street that I think something's going to happen to me. <laughs> we were in Sinaloa, where the, the drug cartel is. Oh, shit, yeah. And uh, we, had, we went out to this, uh, we had a wrestling match, and a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the organized crimes are the wrestling promoters. You know, they, oh. they get the money going through that. And it might not be them directly, but they have ties. Sure. You know, these are powerful people in the town. Right. And, you know, one night we went out, and, and this one boss absolutely loved me. He was the big boss of the nightclub, and he's sitting nice. next to me and, you know, buying me drinks and anything I needed. Wow. And now, hindsight being 2020, you know, this is a, a powerful man in one of the most dangerous states on the planet. You know, right. somebody was coming in looking for trouble with him. Guess who's catching some shrapnel, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, hindsight, it is what it is, but, you know, again, I... I could write a great book. I know that much. But like I said, you know, right. until until I'm rich and famous, you know, nobody's going to believe half the stories, you know? You know what? It's so true at how funny that, that is, where as soon as you have some notoriety behind you, people believe anything you say. But when you're down to earth and you're actually a regular, not to say a regular human, but like, I guess, I'm not, not even blue collar, but whatever I'm trying to say. I'm sure people understand what I'm trying to say. Not famous, I guess. That no one believes what, what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> it's so funny how everything <laughs> is like twisted, right? It's funny, but like, you know, I, I don't look at it. I don't really need the validation right now. You know, I've been lucky enough to, to do what I love my whole life. So, that's true. You too. know, I, I, could, I could write a million stories and, you know, I have a million memories that are worth more than a million dollars. So, not to say I don't want a million dollars. So, if you can help me out. <laughs> there you go. And don't worry, I'll let you plug your shit at the end of the show. I'll do all my little 
bit that I can for you as well. And lastly, you also wrestled in Japan. Now, I love the Japanese culture. I love everything about it. Because again, like I said, I'm a huge video game fan. I love wrestling. But the only thing, once again, is the food. Like, I'm just scared about the food when going to Japan. But besides that, how was your time and experience wrestling in Japan? Because I believe you do, uh, wrestle for Ultimo Dragons promotion? Uh, Japan is the one that I, you know, I wanted more than anything. Mm. And most wrestlers will tell you the same thing, but most yeah. of them don't tell you. You know, they don't know why they want to, other than <laughs> all wrestlers want to. Sure. You know, I was so obsessed with Japanese wrestling as a kid. Uh, you know, like I said, go back to 10 or 12, it was, it was unnatural. My right. mom has seen more Japanese wrestling than 95% of American pro wrestlers have. Oh, wow. Just by sitting, you know, which, like, it, it was that <laughs> bad. So... Yeah. I, I did everything I could for my whole life to try to get over to Japan. Mm. And I had opportunities fall through. And what started to happen is now, you know, young wrestlers, they buy their flight and they stay in the, in the wrestling school in Japan. Right. And that's their way of getting their foot in the door. Sure. And it's not supposed to be like that. It's never mm. supposed to have been like that. Okay. You know, the, the Japanese wrestlers, you know, they look down at that. They see you're not a, you're not a gaijin wrestler. You're a student. You know, and that's one thing that, you know, it, it took me forever to get done. Right. But I actually had a had a rivalry with Ultimo Dragon in Mexico, which is ridiculous because he was one of my favorites as a kid. Awesome, um, me too. He, he became, you know, one of my top feuds down there. And we started working all together. And he was running events with All Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And they brought me over for the tour. My first ever match in Japan was the main event of Cork and Hall. Oh, wow. With... With Joe Doring and Diamante okay. against Jun Akiyama, Ultimo Dragon, and Karistico, who's the original Mystico, which is just absurd, you know, an uh, all-star cast. <laughs> and it just, it took tw- 10 years to get there, but, you know, okay. I was paid very well. I was treated like a star. You know, when I got off the bus, the people carried my bags, and it was it was the Japanese experience I always wanted, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just going to, to do it because I'm supposed to do it, because all the wrestlers want to do it, you know. I actually earned the spot, and I'm very proud of that. No, that's awesome. And speaking of Ultimo Dragon, and I don't know what this guy is on. He must be drinking the same thing that all these other Japanese wrestlers that wrestle till they're 60 that they drink over there. But I saw him, I think it was last year. He came up here to Toronto. He had a match against uh, Matt Cross. And this guy could still go. Like, he's still flipping off the top rope and doing all this. And I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? I will tell you one thing. The best steak I've ever eaten in my life was cooked by Ultima Dragon. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so he knows what he's doing. And he's a, he's a very elegant man. He's just, uh, I would go as far now as just, you know, say he's one of my, my biggest influences in wrestling. I would call him a friend. He's taking care of me so much. Uh, awesome. I actually got bumped up to the main events of CMLL because of my rivalry with him in Mexico. Oh. I was kind of floating, floating in the mid-card. Right. But once he put his stamp of approval and was booking me on all his top show, you know, against him, uh, we actually have a really good chemistry, and you know, we, you know nice. he, he likes to wrestle with me, which what helped me get that stamp of approval, and then all the other guys, you know, were, were uh, they they want to wrestle me as well, you know, the, the top level CML guys, you know, like, hey, mm-hmm. let's get that kid up there. So I have a real good rapport with a lot of the older wrestlers. Uh, my style is very classic. It's very simple. And, right. you know, I'm not going out there to impress you with the moves. I'm going out there to, to you know, tell you a story and, and do, you know, the same thing that you would have seen in the Maple Leaf Gardens in 1984. Yes. That's what Sam Adonis does. 
You know, so a lot of the, a lot of the old timers have, have really taken a shining to me, which is mm-hmm. really all I care about. You know, it's validation in my eyes, and it makes me you know, very confident in what I do. No, of course. And again, it shows. And I thank you for that because I'm, uh, again, being from the Attitude Era where it wasn't a very high work rate as I put up quotations and it was all literally about storytelling and telling a story and getting people over. That's what I enjoyed about it. That's what me, because obviously like every fan, you come in as a kid and then once you hit puberty, you fall out because you notice that you like girls or guys if you're into that, doesn't matter. And then you fall away from wrestling and then you come back again. Like, you know what I mean? And it's always that one thing that brings you back in. And to many people in my age group, it was the Attitude Era, right? Because... Back right. then, it was dubbed soap opera for men. So who, who wouldn't want to watch that? <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, I think there's something that, you know, right now, wrestling is more uh, physical and more acrobatic than ever. And these guys are amazing. Of you course know, the, they are. The talent that these guys have as far as physically is through the roof. But, you know, the, the, there's there seems to be a gap of being able to connect to the person. You know, any guy can come out and do cool moves, right. but how do you make them love you? You know, how do they make you hate them? And, and that's something that, you know, I've always strived to, to attain. And I, you know, I did. I struck a chord in Mexico, and uh, my reputation precedes me because of it. And, uh, you know, uh, it, like I said, it's paid off tenfold studying the past. You know, the, the future always reflects the past, and, and it's something that, you know, my, what's old is new again. And now I can go out and be a 1985-style heel. Right. And it's new to the next generation. See, and everyone, just, again, we're not harping and we're not saying, obviously, and I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and speak on your behalf, Sam, but at least with me, it's not saying that it should be all old school. you got to take a little bit of everything because everything needs to evolve with the times, obviously. No one's, like, stuck in the Stone Age. And a prime example of this, to me, especially now, is the surgence of someone like Orange Cassidy, like... If you were to ask me what moves he could do, I'll say what? He dives out of the ring with his hands in his pockets? What else does he do, right? It's all about his character, the way he portrays his facial features, everything about sure. that. You know what I mean? That's, again, going back to it, that's what I love about wrestling. Right, right. I, I honestly am very out of touch with the new product. You okay. Know, I, I figured out how to make my... I, I know what works through trial and error. Sure. I always know how to push the envelope and get to the next level. But, you know, I, I'm imagine if... if Rick Rude did a 450. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. So okay. uh, it, it's a lot of the old good stuff, but it's it's not slow, boring wrestling. You know, it's. Uh, I think my idea of what a good wrestler is, is he could be picked out of any promotion and put into another and be self-sufficient. Mm. There's a lot of wrestlers. Like Stan Hansen would fit in every single wrestling promotion in history. Right. ECW, WWF 99, because the character's timeless, the, the yeah. storytelling's timeless. Uh, I, I think that about myself, you know. Mm-hmm. However, I look at some of the, you know, the newer style of wrestling. What would they have, you know, been perceived at in the AWA in 1985? How would they, right. what, how would they fare in WWF in 1992? Mm-hmm. You know, now there's people are so, so they have the teeth sunk into the now right. that you know I, I think they don't realize that, that they're not, you know, appealing to a broad demographic, you know. Right now, wrestling fans want to impress wrestling fans. I want to impress, you know, the people that don't want to be there. I want to get new people to come to the show and say, man, I don't even like wrestling, but that Sam Adonis guy is cool. (laughs) You know, and that's, that's, it's hard now because the wrestling bubble, you know, everybody is on their Twitters and Facebooks and everybody is so well connected that they, you know, they can't see outside their own world. And, uh, you know, I'm probably one of the busiest wrestlers on the planet, mm. 
that's not, you know, considered a, a smart Mark wrestling fan. I do less yeah. than everybody. There's not there's not a guy as busy as me that does less than me. <laughs> but I can stay and work because I know how you know I know how to connect with people, and that's something I've you know taken great with me. So you're not really you, you mentioned it a bit before. You're not really keeping up with today's product. There's not really one promotion that you're like, oh, I got to watch what's going on this week. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, I, I really don't. I, I just uh, I have a lot of friends everywhere, and I see enough of it just spill over that's clips true. here and there. You know, you can't avoid it when you know, technically that's part of our job is staying right. relevant on social media. But you know, I just—it's not what I grew up loving. It's so different than what it is. You know, all I try to do is, is adapt. You know, what they're doing to my '80s style and kind of come up with a hybrid and make it work. No, exactly. Now, with all your wrestling time in Japan and Mexico, do you ever think of wrestling under a mask? I actually had a couple matches under a mask oh, in okay. Mexico. Uh, I was actually wearing an Art Bar mask oh, for wow. my feud with uh, Blue Panther. Okay, uh, it was pretty cool. Pretty wild because that's like a now my feud with Blue Panther was almost like the second chapter to his feud with Art Bar. So they mm. bring us up in the same, you know, the same magazines and, and you know, articles. And to me, it's surreal because he's one of the best performers of all time. Yeah. And you know, being in the same breath of it means a lot, you know. So uh, it's never really appealed to me. I just, uh, I know, especially how important a, a, you know, facials are in wrestling and then uh, tell your story and be expressive. True. That's what worked in Mexico. You know, I was the one guy that wasn't wearing the mask and, mm. you know, coming out smiling and waving while waving a Trump flag. You <laughs> right. know, people hated it. You know, you really got under their skin. I would not have been able to do that without my big, you know, shit eating grin on my face. How about the uh, hair versus mask? Have you been involved in any of those in Mexico? Yes, I actually have. Well, I had two hair versus hair matches. Oh, okay. I had a, Hair versus hair against Blue Panther, mm-hmm. which was in front of over ten thousand people, wow. which was unreal. And then I had a hair versus hair ma- match against Negro Cassis, where I lost, oh. and that was uh, New Year's Day, two thousand eighteen. Uh, it was just unbelievable because <laughs> Negro Cassis is one of the, you know. I- I'm pretty sure Chris Jericho has mentioned that Negro Cassis is the best wrestler he's ever been in the ring with him. Oh wow! You know, I wrestled this guy seventy times. You know, so. Uh. I think I've, I've definitely been guilty of being a little bit outspoken. You probably can't tell by this, uh, this interview. However, I just, uh, you know, I, I know what I like. I know what I want to do. I know I've, I've had success, and I know that, you know, I can be an asset in these places. So, it, you know, it, I just, uh, I don't need to worry myself about anybody else. I just do what I can. No, most definitely. And again, it shows. It shows. Uh, have you ever wrestled up here in Canada? How about that? Never once. Oh, That's really? thing it's, Honestly, up until last year, I had wrestled in more countries than I had states. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. All my experience, because I lived in England, but I was flying all over Europe while I lived there. Right. And then I went to Mexico, and and, then it wasn't until I came back from Mexico that my name from Mexico had preceded me to become, you know, a, a bit of an attraction in certain cities. So, you know, that's where my American bookings came up in the last year or two. You know, that's mm. when I started really getting out there. But, uh, yeah, never had a match in in, uh, in Canada, but I have a bunch of good friends up there. No, you should. Again, your style is perfect up here because the Canadian style, as, as of you know, of course, is all technical and sort of brawly style, and it would fit in uh, perfect with your type is, of personality. This is something that, it's frustrating for me, though, too, because, you know, uh, again, everything, uh, everybody... 
tries to, to top everybody and everybody mm-hmm. tries to do more or to be the most impressive. But, you know, there's one thing that, that uh, you know, the one thing that stands out to everybody is personality and character. Right. You know, and the thing is, everybody has this idea that Mexico is all fast-paced, flippy stuff. <laughs> Japan is let's go kill each other and beat the crap out of each other. Sure. These companies, these cultures, these wrestling cultures do not want you to emulate them. They want to hire you because you do what you do. Mm. I am, you know, I got a job in all Japan pro wrestling because I am a classic American style wrestler. And they say, oh, that guy does what we like. Yeah, there's nobody like that anymore. Yeah, let's get that guy. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a throwback to something they would have had 20 years ago. You know, they don't want you to go out and be stiffer than them and do more German suplexes than that. Of course. They don't want you to go do more flips than their the top Mexican guy. You know, they, they don't want you to be a better high flyer. That's what they do. Come right. in and be you, you know, and it's it's I, it's amazing because I can preach this till I'm blue in the face to young wrestlers and, and you know, it's the jokes on them because I'm still going to be doing it and and you know everybody else is still going to follow suit and, and try to, you know, go viral online and do things like that, mm. which you know is is just next to impossible now due to how many wrestlers are trying to do that. No, it's not. It's true. And well, one last thing before we move on. The mask versus hair. Again, I don't know, only have wrestling fans, as I was telling you before as well. So for people who don't realize this, how important is a mask or, or hair versus hair match down in Mexico? Because this is like big things down there. This is bigger than their title matches. This is oh, like a, a revenge. It's, it's how, they, how they finish a, a feud. Right. You know, because a lot of the titles down there, you know, belts, you can win. Because it's all about your skill level. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a, a this settles in score. Right. So when you hate someone, it, it eventually ends up with a hair versus hair or a, or a mask versus mask match. Um, yeah. So like you know, beating beating Blue Panther for his hair to this day, I'll do a wrestling event, you know, in front of some Mexican wrestling fans, and they will say, "Oh my God, I remember your match with Blue Panther." You know, it was historic. I was walking down the street the next morning, and you know, people whistling and flipping me off out the window because I'm, you know, there's the Gringo that beat Blue Panther. <laughs> so it's such a big part of their culture. It, right. It's something that you know I'm super proud I was able to do. Um, but yeah, it was it's it's huge, and it's just uh, it's a little bit different. You know, I think all yeah. wrestling's cultural. I think That's wrestling, you know, I think right. a big problem now is everybody tries to have one style. Let's mm. add lucha plus Japanese style plus Canadian style plus American style. Sure. Put it all together, and we have indie wrestling. You know, mm. no, these these people, the fans are different. The fans do not appreciate it the same. The reason it's the way it is in Mexico is because the people are different. Right. Japan's the same. It's different than we have. It's not universal. You know, it, it's in my opinion, it's the same as, as globalization. Mm. In theory, it's great. But it's never going to work, right? You know, and that's kind of what we're at here. You know, you, you have to. I think there's no there's no such thing as American pro wrestling anymore. Mm. There's just one style, and it's just everybody does as many things as they can and just cool stuff. You know, and I, I'd like to think I'm the one guy trying to do that. You know, classic style: grab a headlock, hit a tackle. You know, mm-hmm. get thrown over the top rope. You know, and just the, the Jerry Lawler, Ric Flair style. <laughs> you know. The, the Memphis bumps, if you will. That, right. That's what the rest of the world remembers about American wrestling. Mm-hmm. And if I'm the only one selling it, someone's going to buy it. That is true. Supply and demand, as they say, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I keep doing more of these podcasts, and I'm probably going to you know, shoot myself in the foot because now I'll get some competition when, when somebody thinks I'm right. 
<laughs> no kidding. Monkey see, monkey do. And and it's so true, like you said, it's all cultural, and it's how the different countries and promoters and promotions uh, present it on TV. Because like here in North America, if you get your head shaved, that's something to laugh at. Like it's not a, a badge of honor. It's not you're going into a big match. Because all we could think about is like matches like Angle, speaking of guys again from Pittsburgh, getting his head shaved, McMahon getting his head shaved. Like, you know what I mean? All these sort of tongue-in-cheek. But in Mexico, no, it's it's big time down there. I mean, you can go as far as to say there's a, there's a wrestler, you know, Genichiro Tenryu, who's yeah. a massive star in Japan. Right. And his whole demeanor is he's he's serious. He doesn't smile. He doesn't get, you know, to the point where, you know, he was in the Royal Rumble in 93, and, and it was like, the, you know, the Americans didn't know how to take him. It was, mm. wasn't exciting. He wasn't flashy to the point right. where he meant almost nothing to the company. In Japan, the style of people like that, you know, they say, Wow, I, I'm impressed by this guy. He doesn't show emotion. He just puts his head down to work. Same with Dory Funk. You know, Dory and Terry Funk are so famous in Japan for complete opposite reasons. You know, Terry's a nut and just insane and happy and smiling and, you know, getting crazy. Right. Whereas Dory just, you know, grafts. He's just a worker. He just yes. puts his head down and goes. People love that because it's cultural. Same with the Dean Malenko. You know, they yes. love him in Japan because he's serious. You know, I think so many people, they, they have these preconceived notions about, you know, what, how you have to change to be them, when realistically, you know, if you're good enough at being you, you know, the rest follows. No, most definitely. And finally, too, you also run your own promotion. What else don't you do, my friend? <laughs> Where else haven't you been? But how do you separate being one of the boys as being their boss? Like, how hard is that for you? Or is it hard at all? Uh, it's... Uh, it's kind of difficult sometimes because I see things from both ends. You know, I'm a wrestler and I know what it's like to, you know, get screwed and get right. uh, you know, nickel and dime. So I don't ever want people to, to, you know, I don't want to do that to anybody. You know, however, sometimes, you know, decisions have to be made and you can't stay everybody's friend. That's um, true too. The thing that I, uh, the reason I wanted to get into this is, you mm-hmm. know, locally in Pittsburgh, uh, there was a couple independents that I was working for, and they're all good enough at what they are. Sure. But uh, it, w- it wasn't anything that I would, you know, tell my friends and family to come check out. Oh, I you see. You know, it, it, it wasn't a scene. <laughs> you know, when, and I, when when everybody in my family sees, you know, what I'm doing online in Mexico and Japan, being oh, somebody somewhere, right. and then to come home and see me at, at, a, at a VFW lodge, you know, it's, what the hell is that, Sam? You know, so uh, <laughs> I actually did security at this concert venue in the city of Pittsburgh for years, even when I came home to visit, you know, I pick up shifts right. and we all just got together and, you know, put it, put together this formula. We do, you know, it, it's a great show. It's got lights, camera action, everything in between. And it's mm-hmm. world-class, you know, I use, it's my idea of what I want wrestling to be. And, mm-hmm. and it's nice because, you know, I get the hand select what I want out there. You know, you're not going to see, there's probably 10 top wrestling stars that if I had the chance to have them on for free, I would say no, you know, because it's not what I think is, you know, the, the image I'm portraying. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it all works out well, too, because Pittsburgh is such a proud city. We're able to, uh, you know, it, it is, it, I'm almost more or less searching for the local demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, every independent wrestling company on the planet wants to be the next ECW. <laughs> Everyone's figuring out how to go viral and how sure. to have many followers, you know? Yeah. I don't care about the internet. I don't want you to watch my live stream. Mm-hmm. I want that show to be sold out, you know, wall-to-wall, packed up locals. 
Right. And then when that when that sold out, they tell their friends, and they tell their friends, and they tell their friends. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, you know, Pittsburgh has a badass wrestling company. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you're going to get your TV deals and you get your, you know, your your sponsorships and everything in between. It's it's not as simple as just ECW did it. We can do it. You know, right. I, I just you know I do it a little bit. It's nice to have a place to wrestle, but I'm still you know up until this current moment with the pandemic. You mm-hmm. know, I'm still very busy all over the country and. It's almost just like a little side project. Mm-hmm. You know, I still think I have so much more to give the wrestling business that, you know, I'll probably end up somewhere sometime soon. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's fun. I like to do it. I, you know, make some money with it, have some, some of my friends in. It's a great way to sure. get a, you know, get a little party going with the five or six guys I haven't seen in a year. You know, come <laughs> on, everybody come to my show. I'll bring you in and uh, we'll have some beers after. No, most definitely. So when did all this start? And I believe it's called WrestleRex, right? Plug it away, do your thing. So when it comes back, when everything's back to normal, people can check it out. Yeah, we don't have a website or anything. We we use the hashtag WrestleRex just on all of these social media platforms. But uh, again, it's very local organized. You know, you have the the posters and the, you know, if in the city, everybody knows about it now. Okay. They did a full page, they did a full front page spread about me, my career, and WrestleRex, like I said, on the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, which was massive. You know, everybody heard about this, and it's nice because, you know, I've been able to travel the world. I put the work in, and, and it feels like finally, you know, Pittsburgh's kind of appreciating it. Right. You know, so they know that we have this this world class product coming to the South Side, and it's you know priced like indie shows. It's mm-hmm. not going to break your bank account. It's not you know cool. we're using some of the best local talent we can find, but more or less eighty percent of the show is, is, is outside talent, guys from all over the world. We're bringing in the CMLL luchadors. Uh, oh, nice. Some guys that like you know American fans have never even seen, but they come in and tear the house down. We've had Gangrel, we've had Penta and Phoenix, we've had L.A. Park, we've had sure. Joe Doring from all Japan. You know, it, it's something diverse. I, I think it's uh, it's working. You know, I, I'm not cutting corners. I just want to show people that there is still good wrestling out there, you know, and, and I, I want to have it, you know, my way. So I don't know where it'll go, and uh, who knows if there'll ever be in a show again after this. But, you know, I like it. It's fun just to keep me busy and, uh, you know, envision wrestling my own way. No, that's cool. Well, that gives me another reason to come over to Pittsburgh because I've always wanted to watch a Penguins game live. So I'll try and schedule where there's a, a show on with your WrestleRex along with the Penguins game, and it gives me more motivation to drive across the border again. <laughs> you're, you're more than welcome, man. I think it's only like six hours from Toronto. It so, is. Uh, I know. I, I trust me. I've looked into it a lot of times, but again, at, I'm, people know I'm a cheapskate, so I was, I was trying to do it where. Because I usually go to New York a lot too, and I was like, okay, maybe I could go see my friends in New York, and I have a place to stay there, so I'll save money. And then the money I saved there, I could use in Pittsburgh. But I'm like, if I'm only going to go to a Penguins game, and then I was like, oh, I'm also an Eagles fan, and Philly's not too far away, so maybe I could do both. And then, but now, now it gives me more than enough reason to come to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully one day I get back up that way soon. I, I'd like to get to Toronto or something again. The one thing is, it's, like I said, I, I've had. I've looked over a lot because I'm not in that, a certain, you know, bubble on the internet. You know, I'm True. not, you don't see my name discussed with these 10 or 12 top independent talents. Right, right. You know, so a lot of times people, you know, they just don't know about me. And if they do, they don't care. But, you know, I, the more people get to see me, the more they get it, you know, and it works out well. And I'm, I'm able to, to be cast in these positions. And, you know, slowly but surely, the people are starting to buy into it and understand what I'm doing. And, and that's now, you know, now it feels good because it's not just, you know, throw, throwing shit against the wall and seeing what's there. 
no it's, you know, there's, there's a product there and I'm very proud of what I do. I, you know, I have a blast traveling all over the world, meeting people and just, it's so nice to just have friends in every city and, you know, right. uh, it, it's great, you know, especially if I'm a heel, I can come and you know, I'm getting paid to be mean to people, right. you know, and then people, my favorite compliment is people, you know, that, that they say, well, I didn't think you'd be that nice outside the room. You're a real asshole. <laughs> and I'm just, thank you. That's what I want to hear. I appreciate that. So that's awesome. To hear. It takes me to Toronto soon. No, I hope so. I really hope so. Like I said, we are diehard fans here, and I'm sure we'd love to see someone of your caliber up here. So to all the independent wrestling promoters out there in the Toronto area, which I know some of do listen to the show, please hit up Sam once all this is back to normal and get him up here. <laughs> now, lastly, I have to know too, because I always like asking these sort of questions, because I like to know what happens behind the scenes with certain stuff. And again, being a so-called Mark, I like to know stuff that I wouldn't be privy to. So what's the craziest thing to happen as a promoter? Anything go so sideways during a show that you're like, fuck this, I'm going to go shoot myself? I, I think that at least four times before every show. But <laughs> I think that's only because I'm a, uh, I'm a, a bit of a lunatic myself. Right. I just, I'm a perfectionist, and the smallest okay. problem to you, it's the biggest problem to me. Gotcha. But um, the, the bad one, I had super crazy coming to Pittsburgh a couple months ago. Okay. And a flight was canceled. Oh, no. To get him to Pittsburgh, he, he his after he had his layover, so he was in New York City. He landed, got through customs, and it it was canceled. Shit. So that was just so frustrating. Luckily, you know, there's something about the, the wrestling community. You know, we're pretty pretty street smart when it comes to traveling and you know, getting true. things done. <laughs> Luckily, a guy like him who's been around the wrestling business 35 years, you know, right. knows how to handle things. Okay. So, you know, there was a couple hours where I wasn't getting phone calls and I'm just sweating saying, is this main event guy even going to make it tonight? Right, right. And then he gets the phone call and he says, hey, we're good to go. And it's just, you know, it's stressful. It's wild. And another one, the first wrestling show I ever promoted was in Florida. It was the first Lucha show. Okay. Uh, at the, Bra- the, at the uh, Palmetto Civic Center uh, in Palmetto, Florida. Okay. No, Bradenton Civic Center in Bradenton, Florida. And um, I had a very, very high budget, a lot of money being thrown out there, a lot of sponsors, a lot of people getting involved in the show. Okay. And the night night before the show, there was a pre-sale of 72 tickets. Oh, wow. And I, it was, um, that was nothing. I was just losing my mind. I just thought, you know, hey, I lost 20 grand. Right. I was convinced that it's, I'm dead. Right, right. And then, friend of mine, he was one of the local uh, Mexican wrestlers, he said, trust me, bro, they're coming. Don't you worry. They're coming. And sure as shit, on the night, 900 people showed up, and uh, I, I learned, you know, some, it was, a, it was a lesson in the, you know, the, the Latino culture that they don't pre-sell it, pre-buy their tickets. You know? um, they just show up as they want, you gotcha. know, and, and that night, we had to start the show 30 minutes later just so the people could get in the building, and it was just, you know crazy it's it's almost like uh you know addiction because the, mm. the better half of your mind tells you you shouldn't do it but there's no <laughs> feeling quite like it so you have to and finally I, I i keep saying finally i don't know why but before we get to the dumbass of the week where's i'm gonna put you on the spot what's your favorite place or country to wrestle in uh honestly i would say hanover germany oh which is random. Yes, there's a, uh, there's a company there called EWP okay. that actually does the classic catch style of wrestling, like the 90s uh, style gotcha. with the rounds. And uh, the best way to describe it would be like red carpet wrestling. Oh, um, okay. They have, it's, it's all beautiful women and 
you know, cool guys drinking beers from pint glasses, and they're just they're they're into the show. They're crazy for everything, mm. but they're not your average wrestling fans. You know, they they like good wrestling. They like my idea of good wrestling. They like gotcha. you know classic good wrestling. Yes. They don't want to see the, the the you know young kids kick the crap out of each other and do ten moon songs. Sure. They want to see you know Doink the Clown against the Warlord. You know, <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff that you know. It's a great magical place. Um, there, Cork and Hall, obviously, uh, Arena Mexico, sure. fantastic. And honestly, without even trying to sound biased, what we're doing in Pittsburgh right now is really good. We got something special, you know. Uh, every wrestler I brought in has said to me, "Man, you got something here," and I'm very proud of that. You know, it's standing room only, and the lights and ambience makes it something special. And the crowd is hotter than anything. Mm-hmm. Imagine WWF superstars from 1987 in an ECW venue. Oof. That's basically what WrestleRex is, and I think that's a pretty unique concept. No, I, I like it. I like it. Like I said, I'll for sure be checking it out. So, you ready for the dumbass of the week? Yes, sir. I'm ready. All right. Okay. So, all of us have done stupid shit when we we're younger, I would assume, especially at around the age of five. Do, can you remember anything stupid that you've done at that age that you could remember off the top of your head? Um, I, I think I broke my leg when I was five. Okay. How, how about something? How about something that's pissed off your parents to, to the point where you've done something, you know it's wrong and it's going to piss off your parents, but you still did it anyways? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't remember. It's too far. There have been so many instances I can't recall these. Okay, yeah. I don't think I, I did anything that out of the ordinary other than what any five-year-old did. Now, how about this? One last question before I get into the dumbass. What was the first time you'd driven a car? I actually waited when I was six. Like, I was allowed to get my permit when I was 16 and a half, but okay. I actually... I was supposed to get it when I was 16. I actually waited six months because I just didn't get around to it. So 16 and a half is when I got my license. Oh, wow. Okay. Me, it was about, it was right after I, I moved in with my wife. Maybe 21 or 22 is when I got my license. Again, for people who don't oh, know. Yeah. Well, I grew up in downtown Toronto. My job was 10 minutes away, so I walked there. Right, my, right, right. My parents were another 15 minutes away. My school was across the street growing up. Like, it was sort of like that, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, speaking of bubbles, I was in my own Toronto bubble, right? So the first time I ever drove a car was like, well, maybe not the first time I drove, but when I got my license was 21. But anyways, to tie this all together, so <laughs> there was a a five-year-old who decided to go for a joyride in his parents' car in California. Oh, God. Now, I don't, again, I don't know if these kids are just more advanced than we were at that age because I wasn't thinking of anything like this. And I don't know if how to even reach the pedals, but now, yeah. now thinking of it, Actually, did you ever have those kids growing up in school that were like in grade eight and just had like a full f- beard already and would just look like an adult? Yeah. Right? Yeah, but not a five-year-old. I've never seen a six-foot-two five-year-old. That's true. But I did have, I remember now, I had a 13-year-old who used to steal his dad's car and bring it to school in grade eight and he would get away with it. Yeah. And he said he would drive, again, I don't know if he was lying or not, but I'd see him roll up in his car. So that part was true. But he would say that he would go by cops and just like wave at them and stuff and just pretend that everything was normal because he looked like he was like legitimately like 17, 18. Wow. But back to the dumbass. Five years old in California. Do you want to know why (laughs) he decided to steal his parents car uh i don't know he needed to buy cigarettes (laughs) actually that's a good guess if he's able to steal his his car maybe he wanted to smoke no he drove to a a lamborghini dealership because he wanted to buy a lamborghini oh my god i don't even know that's 
that's just horrible parenting because I don't know what your five year old shouldn't even know what a Lamborghini is. Right. That's probably mom reading too many Kardashian magazines you know, and <laughs> teaching vanity. Oh, it gets worse. Hold on. <laughs> so to end the story off, he got to the dealership or it got tweeted out or something and an owner of a Lamborghini saw and decided to gift this five-year-old in a little joyride of themselves in a real Lamborghini. And his parents actually accepted on his behalf and was cool with it. So the moral of the story is, steal your parents' car and you'll get a ride in a Lamborghini. It's absolutely sick. Right? Absolutely sick. One, one better is, you know, get arrested for, for felony you know, gang charges and you'll sell 10 million albums. You know, like, there, there's so many things wrong with society right now. But, it's true. You know, again, the, the bad people get rewarded and the good people get, you know, punished. So I try not to let myself, you know, be hindered by all this. I try to stay a good person, treat people the way I want to be treated and, uh, you know, right. just uh, enjoy being a pro wrestler and eating food all over the world. No, it is true. Well, you know, if you ever do want to get that famous, all you got to do is drop a sex tape. So it's always in your back pocket if you want. <laughs> yeah, I actually said that. I've had that idea a few times. But, uh, yeah. The worst part is uh, a lot of times, you know, some things that, that happen, it's not necessarily that I do anything. It's that right. Corey Graves' brother did this, and that kind of, you know, makes me walk on eggshells a little bit because I never want to get him in trouble for anything. Oh, that's true, too. I didn't even thought of that. Well, now that you actually brought up his name, because, you know, I wanted to solely be about you. How important is it to, like, having your brother's notoriety on your shoulders, obviously, it's a big part of everything that you do, too. But what's the slippery slope of, obviously, you're very proud of him, and you want to shout out the top of your lungs, I'm Corey Gray's brother, but at the same time, you want to make it on your own. So how do you, like, navigate that? Uh, some people just already know. I never broadcasted it. You know, it's something that... I can honestly say 99% of my career I've done by myself, you know, and uh, awesome. he's a good friend, you know, we're still close as can be, but, uh, you know, I've, I, I still pride myself on the fact that most people don't know, you know, anytime, oh. every, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I, he puts a, a tweet to me or, or Instagram or something, you know, sure. just because it's kind of a conflict of interest, but, you know, every single time, I didn't know this was his brother, holy crap, you know, so, <laughs> I don't know. It means I'm doing something right or something wrong, but you know I don't think there's one person on the planet that uh, that's gonna you know that's able to say that I've got anything from his name. So I think it's pretty cool. No, that is cool. That's cool to hear. So before we go and sign off, where can people find you? Where can people, I guess, book you in in the near future? Hopefully, all that fun stuff. Uh, Instagram and Twitter. That's uh, you know basically the center of all of our media world these days. Right. It's easy. It is real Sam Adonis. Uh, on both platforms. Uh, I have a ton of cool pictures up. Uh, uh, I have my Twitter. I always talk about a lot of old wrestling. I like, you know, I post matches and stuff. So any old fans, you know, if you need some suggestions, check it out there. Um, My career has been pretty cool. I got some neat pictures from from, uh, Japan, Mexico, USA, whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I try to do my best to keep my my, uh, social media interesting. You know, you're not going to hear me complaining or, or, you know, talking bad about anything i just try to keep everybody positive and get my name out there in a positive light as much as much as i can no nowadays that's very refreshing especially on twitter and for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finga Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Rewind to the top of the show, listen to the sponsors, because if it helps them out, it helps me out. Support me directly by clicking on 
my link on your device that you're listening to right in the description takes you straight to the merchandise store and like i said too the most important thing the easiest thing the most free thing you could do rate subscribe review on all major platforms all good sam awesome man i thank you for having me on today and i hope we went well for it no that sounds great thank you so on that note he's sam i'm steve this is the podcast peace